So I'm going to hand over to Deborah um, as um, I pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift that is to us. Thank you for our freedom to be able to have these Bibles, to be able to open them together, to be able to meet together. And Lord, I pray for Deborah now as she, um, as she speaks to us. I pray that her words would be your words, Lord. I pray that there would be something about the words she speaks that really connect with us. And help us, Lord, to receive as you work in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you help us to receive these words and to retain them and act upon them in our lives in Jesus name amen, amen. Thank you. um good morning good morning um I think uh yeah as as most of you know I'm Deborah um and uh we are as I said we're going to start looking at a, a character in the Bible today. We're going to start looking at a series on Elijah. Spoiler uh, there. Um, so we are going to start. But first, I'm just going to pray for us all together. So Ed's prayed for me, but we're going to, I'm going to pray for, for us. So Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword um, that judges the, the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Will you speak through your word to us, directly into our hearts today? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be setting the scene uh, for our series on Elijah. A little taster, a little intro uh, to this character, this, the life of Elijah. Now, Elijah was one of the, the sort of big hitters of the Old Testament. A you know, really significant character. And uh, he appears at the, the point of um, a point of history of, of God's people, the Israelites, um, when they have gone further and further away from living the way that God had uh, designed them to live. God had called them to live. Now, the king of Israel, uh, his name is Ahab, um, he had married Jezebel, perhaps a, a name that's, you know, that's got connotations around it, which, which comes from uh, this first Bible character of, of Jezebel. And uh, she was the daughter of a, of a pagan king. And, uh, and she was fairly influential. She was clearly, uh, yeah, influential in, in their marriage and probably influential in, in, their, in the kingdom of Israel. And she had effectively made sure that worship of, of God was, was criminalized. And she had, uh, and the people were instructed to worship the, the God idol, Baal. Now, and it's into this situation that, uh, where we first meet Elijah. And we're just going to read uh, from the moment we first hear of Elijah, from the, from the first verse of 1 Kings 17. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Sorry, I need two hands to do this. <laughs> no, um, 
the story develops, and just spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, I'm just I'm going to spoil it for you, uh, to spoil the suspense that, you, that might um, be built up. Just like Elijah stated, there is no rain in the land for three years. Until, until we come to a showdown on Mount Carmel. We'll, we'll get to look at this part of the story in more detail in a, in a couple of weeks. But the summary is this. Elijah challenges the priests of Baal to like a face-off. So Elijah says to the king and all the people uh, assembled on the mountain, he says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you can call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Now, the prophets of Baal spend all day praying to their God. They get more and more frantic, uh, but nothing happens. Then steps up Elijah, but he doesn't pray straight away. He doesn't get frantic like they do. Actually, what he does is he ramps up the pressure. He gets buckets and buckets of water that he pours on the altar and the water is just dripping and soaking through the uh, the, the sacrifice all the way down to the point where there's like a, like a little moat around the altar and then he prays and immediately God sends fire down with such ferocity that it burns everything up. It burns up the sacrifice. It burns up the wood. It licks up all the water. And it even burns the very rocks that the altar is made of. The people turn back to God, get rid of the priests of Baal, and there's a massive uh, thunderstorm. And it's a significant moment in the history of Israel. So just as we start this series, I thought it'd be really helpful just to, just to think for a moment. Just imagine that you are sat with Elijah. You're sat with Elijah, maybe over a meal, maybe over a coffee. Um, imagine what questions would you like to ask him? What questions about this event would you like to, to ask him based on what, you know, just on what you've heard about it now? Just going to encourage you just to turn to the people around you. Just look around, make sure there's no one sort of sat on their own. Um, just, and, and just chat for a moment. What questions, share what questions you would ask Elijah if you had the opportunity. Great. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing some of those questions um, around. Now, there is, is lots that I would like to know from Elijah. Firstly, I would ask him um, what, what provoked him to, to leave the comfort and safety of home uh, to risk his life, to, to confront the king? You know, what gave him the confidence to, to say what he did and pray what he did and uh, do what, what he did? How could he be confident that God would, was going to answer? But these questions also raise uh, further questions about, about myself, about what if I was in Elijah's shoes? Would, would I have that same faith in God? And in my life today, how, how can I have the confidence to refuse to accept the, the status quo, to stay comfortable, but to say to God, count me in, and to pray in a, in a way that, that knows that God will hear and act. Now, there are some, uh, these are some of the questions that hopefully we will, we will get to, we'll answer, get some sort of answers for today. So as we saw from the text we read, um, Elijah seems to just turn up on the pages of the Bible completely unannounced. We know very little about him apart from he's from Tishbe. Um, but we don't actually know where Tishbe is. Uh, we think we, there's no sort of historical um, sort of findings of, of Tishbe. Uh, it's a place that's sort of been lost to history. So we, so if you know, if it's been lost to history, we we, we can summarise summarise that it, it perhaps was a fairly insignificant town or or village. Um, there's not there's not any other mentions of it in the Bible. All we are aware of is it was for, it was in Gilead, and and what we know about the region of Gilead was it was on the very edge of the land of Israel, very edge of the land of Israel, far from the politics of the capital. So basically all we know is that Elijah from Tishbe, this backwater town in a remote part of the land, we know that Gilead was sort of rugged hill country uh, where life would have been tough and remote and probably fairly uncivilised. Bible scholars believe that Elijah probably tended sheeps on the, the hillside. Sheeps? Sheep? Uh, sorry. Sheep on the hillside of Gilead. And um, that's because what most men did. That's what most men did in Gilead. They were, they were shepherds. So can you imagine this rough, probably fairly grubby, fairly unrefined, man from the back of beyond stepping into the opulence, the sophistication of the palace of the king. He would have looked out of place. He would have sounded out of place. He would have acted out of place. He probably would have smelled out of place. Now, if I was Elijah, I would have felt completely inadequate to the task of confronting the king based on that. It looks like his background, his appearance, his training, his experiences were, were wholly lacking for this important task of leading the people of Israel 
back to God. But what if, what if it was Elijah's disconnection with the palace that meant he actually was ideally placed to speak to the king? You know, he hadn't been tainted by living up close to the idolatrous lifestyles in, in the city. What if his background, his life experience, instead of discounting him from serving God, the Lord could use for his purposes? And this begs the question, what if our background, what if our life experiences don't discount us from being used by God? What if the various events and circumstances that have contributed to our lives, both bad and good, won't be wasted if we offer them up to God? What if God wants to redeem even the most difficult and painful parts of our lives to draw out purpose and hope? This um, picture here is uh, a guy called Nick Wojcik. He was born without arms or legs. As you would imagine, he struggled with his disability, including making a suicide attempt at the age of 10. Yet he now travels the world telling people they are loved by God and he has a purpose for their lives. He's been given purpose. He writes, um, God used me to reach people in countless schools, churches, prisons, orphanages, hospitals, stadiums and meeting halls. Even better, I've hugged thousands of people in face-to-face -face encounters that allow me to tell them how very precious they are. God took my unusual body and invested with me with the ability to uplift hearts and encourage spirits. Over the next few weeks, we'll read of Elijah being hungry and tired and grumpy and a bit depressed. I'm sure that, you know, maybe that's been the, the story of your week. Um, but we'll read that after the, even read after the showdown at Mount Carmel, just a, just a whispered threat from Jezebel threw Elijah into such a mental crisis that he wanted to die. We are told in James chapter 5, it says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What if Elijah's limitations, his weaknesses, emotional quirks didn't disqualify him from standing, from, from serving God in a mighty way? What if it was his very humanness which meant he had to rely on God's supernatural power? What if it was his weakness that allowed God to show his strength? And what if God can use our weaknesses just as much as our strengths? I believe God knows us intimately and understands our struggles and limitations and has factored them into his plan for our lives. It says in Ephesians 1 that the power at work in us, God's Holy Spirit, is the same power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So why would anything 
anything of our weaknesses limit God working through us. James told us that Elijah was human just like us, to inspire us to believe anything is possible when we submit our lives to Jesus. It's just one example of many throughout history of what happens when ordinary people, ordinary lives intersect with an extraordinary God. Just got a little question for you just to be reflecting on. Are there parts of your personality or abilities or past experiences that you worry hold you back? I think there are two things that we see in Elijah's life that propel him on this journey to, to firstly to the palace and then on to, to Mount Carmel, this supernatural showdown on Mount Carmel. In biblical days, uh, names weren't chosen because they sounded nice. Parents didn't sort of scroll through a book of baby names or even a scroll of baby names because they were looking for something cool or interesting. Names were often chosen to reflect a person's calling or character. So Elijah's name can be broken down like this. L meaning God. I meaning my and Yah meaning Yahweh. Elijah's name means the Lord is my God. Every day of his life, Elijah would hear the words, the Lord is my God, spoken over him countless times. Time and again, he would be reminded that the Lord was his God. When kids were mean to him in the playground or well, in the fields as a child, is he tried to work out what life was all about and his place in the world as a, as a teenager. And as the worries and the concerns of, of uh, the, you know, that he faced of responsibilities of adulthood, he would constantly be reminded by his name that the Lord was his God. And I think it's this truth that would have stirred in him as he saw the people around him being led astray, worshipping Baal. It would have been that truth that galvanised his faith and propelled him to confront the king and the queen. I believe that Elijah's name shaped his life and his response to the challenges he faced. What is shaping your life and your response? Are you being shaped by the truth of God's word? The world around us is much louder and can seem more enticing than God's word. If we're passive, if we're not absolutely radical in what we watch and what we don't watch, in what we read and don't read, if, in, in what we listen to and don't listen to, if we aren't diligent in reading the word of God and being soaked in it, then it will be the world that, uh, that we conform to, that we will be... Um, uh, shaped by the norms of our society. 
without the firm foundation of God's word will be swayed by the fears, by the temptations and, and just the confusion of, of this world. Uh, as Ed has mentioned, at our 11 a.m. Uh, service, um, we uh, have a baptism. We've got Anna being baptised. And I know that Anna has chosen to, to follow Jesus and be baptised today because of what has been inputted in her over her lifetime. Like each of the young people who we've had uh, baptised um, uh, recently, I know that their parents have modelled radical discipleship in their homes. They've chosen to prioritise coming to church on a Sunday so their family can spend time with other Christians to encourage and influence their lives. They've encouraged their children to read the Bible regularly so that their minds and their spirits are, are shaped by God's truth. So what are the things you are hearing every day? What are the messages that you are sh that are shaping your life and your beliefs? Finally, and, and this is where I'm coming in to land. Um, Elijah, at some point, decided he was willing to pay the cost of obeying God. Elijah was willing to sacrifice his quiet life in the hills of Gilead to step into the palace courts. He chose to leave behind the, the relative safety and comfort of home to obey the call of God on his life to confront the king. He chose to step up. Church, high grove. I believe God has a call on each of our lives, mine and yours, to do the same. To be drawn out of our comfort zones and to step into difficult situations. To be salt and light in the world. This is why the story of Elijah is so pertinent to us right now. The world has never needed the church more. The world is chasing after idols, just like the people of Israel. The people in our lives need to know that Jesus loves them and has plans and purposes for their lives. But just like in Elijah's day, many will, will reject that message and perhaps even reject us in the process. But I found a quote from Portishead's very own Sam Marsh uh, <laughs> when he spoke to us a few years ago. He said, if following Jesus for you feels comfortable, then you're probably not doing it right. And that statement stands true today. If following Jesus isn't costly to you in some way, then you're probably missing something. You know, following Jesus is worth everything. It transforms our lives. We, we uh, receive every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, but it also costs us our lives too. So here's my final question. There is a call on your life. 
Are you willing to pay the cost of it? Are you willing to pay the cost of obeying Jesus? Are you willing to step up? We're going to take a moment now just to respond to each of those questions I've asked. Are you willing to step up and follow Jesus with your whole life? Are you willing to let him use all of your life, your strengths, your weaknesses, your your past, your mistakes, for his purposes? Just going to have a time now. We're just going to be quiet. And I just want to encourage you. If you might be saying yes to these questions. It might be a recommitment to a yes that you've said countless times before. Or it might be a yes for the first time. Or it might be that there's just an area of your life now that you are willing to, to let God into. But if you've answered yes in any way this morning, I just encourage you to stand. You know, just to, to show to yourself and to God that you are willing to commit to Him. I just love you. I just love you to stand now because I just want to pray for you. So if, if that's you, then I'm just gonna I'm gonna pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Jesus. Yeah, Lord, I I just pray for each person here who is stood in front of you. Thank you for what you are stirring in their hearts. Pray for your spirit to come now. Will you fill each one of them? Maybe just as an additional sign, you might just want to hold out your hands to receive and we pray Holy Spirit will you come Jesus will you come like fire from heaven that those bits of our lives that are a bit messy that perhaps aren't fully turned towards you just feel like God just wants to come and just with his refining fire just purge some of that, um, some of that unholiness. Some of that, maybe some of those past experiences, some of that brokenness, some of those hurts that you've experienced, he wants to come and meet you in that place.